Welcome to the Axis Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. This is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for the Access Effect. And I'm super excited to have Christopher Seeshigh, who is a co-founder of Kite XA Power Solar Turbine Company, on the show with us today. Hi, Christopher. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having <laughs> I me. I, I hope I didn't mess up your like last name too much. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's a difficult Danish name. <laughs> I get it. I know. It's the it. beauty of podcasts. We can make mistakes and nobody really cares. It's just audio. But yeah. I, I do love that you've been calling in. I know it's late your time, but I love your company was ran by us because we've had it. You know, we talk about global warming. We talk about solar power, sustainability. Uh, we don't get into it a lot because we're all about leadership on this show. But I was so fascinated by your company and what you're doing and your background on this. I mean, you, you have a background. You are a still entrepreneur, a CTO. I mean, you, you have an engineering background. What led you from your background up to get into the solar powered or energy um, company, Kydex? Yeah, I mean, it's a, so it's, a, it's wind power, right? Uh, and I think the inspiration sort of comes, I mean, dates all the way back to... Uh, to my childhood, I would say. I remember uh, when I was around eight years old, standing and and at the beach. Uh, I have this summer vacation house with my family, and uh, there was this was back in two thousand, I think, uh, when the first uh, kite surfers sort of kite surfing that become a thing. And I was standing there like a little kid and and seeing this guy on the water with this massive it looks like a balloon, right? But it was a kite, and he was jumping really high up in the air, and that. I mean, I was standing there having this moment, like, this is something that I want to do one day. <laughs> and and of course, I mean, that was the dangerous extreme sport back then, but I saved up when I could, uh, got a, a small job, uh, you know, in a grocery store and saved up all my money uh, through uh, through high school and finally could buy my own kit. My parents wouldn't let me, but uh, saved enough up and started uh, kite surfing. So that's, I think that's really where the uh, inspiration comes from. Uh, sort of this harnessing the power of the wind and also being at the ocean and stuff like this. And then, I mean, then I went to engineering school and uh, graduated there with a background in uh, maritime engineering, actually. Uh, but one thing led to another and I found uh, my uh, business partner, Andreas. He's the CEO of Kydex, uh, co-founder. I mean, we just hit it off real good, I think. Sort of uh, back in the days when I joined him on his adventure, then... Um, then we were doing flying wind turbines, actually. So that's where you have a kite that flies around in a circle, and then you make uh, wind power. So that's just right in the ball game, I would say. So I love that you grew up with this dream and goal to go kite surfing, and you took mm-hmm. that, turned it into an actual company. So I know you, you know, you're designing super lightweight and they're mobile wind turbines. What does Kite X do? Because I got some questions for you, but I want to kind of make sure I'm asking the right questions. Kite X. They're um, wind-powered, lightweight turbines. Yeah, turbines. So, right. I mean, talk to me about this and everything. Yeah. Because and like, how big is the company? Because these are lightweight ones. Like you know, we always see those big, huge ones in the middle of the desert or in the mm-hmm. mountains. Do you know, the big, huge ones. These are small, portable ones, 
Yeah. Or... So the special thing about our turbine that is that we are using these string similar string to when you are kite surfing, and these strings they are made from this uh, synthetic fiber polyethylene. They're also sometimes called the uh, Dyneema lines, uh, and they are eight times stronger than steel for the same area. So that's really something I build structures in steel, but this is like a synthetic fiber. And our whole design around our wind turbine and how we can make it super lightweight is because we are using these lines. So all the forces generated in the wind turbine, that is held in tension by these lines. And that means we, we only need 10% of the materials compared to a traditional turbine. You guys, I know you guys are over in Europe. Are these primarily used over in your part of the world? I mean, these aren't global. These are just mainly, you've made these. Yeah, yeah, we're making. Yeah, so I've been thinking the weather because when I'm looking at them, I mean they're pretty tall. They're not small, but they're very thin to your point of the design and mechanics yeah. of them. And with the weather elements, I mean, how sturdy are these? They're quite sturdy. So we have survived uh, multiple storms at our test site with them, uh, Danish storms, and that would be uh, wind speeds of uh, up to sixty miles per hour, something like this. This has been the max we have been able to measure at our test site in two years. And we have had quite some storms. So the thing is that that these lines are just super strong, right? And then we can make the structure super slender. And then we're using these skylines to to mount it directly into the ground with these uh, sort of screw-in anchors. And then we don't need any concrete or anything for it, basically. And we can also pack it down in like a, in a small bag for the current size of turbines that we are selling. And we're also selling to the U.S., uh, actually, I think uh, more than 60% of our customers, they are based in the U.S. So, so I mean, it's a super lightweight wind power product that we, that we are, are making and, uh, and selling. And so the whole turbine that is, uh, that is 12 feet tall up to the, to the where the generator sits. So it's not, it's not a small structure. It's not a huge structure either. It's like a one-story house or something like that. It reaches the same height, you can sort of say. But it only weighs 12 kilos. Was that? That's uh, 25, 26 pounds, something like that. Wow. So, so let me ask you a question. So I know, you know, it's very costly, you know, traditional turbines. And I know mm-hmm. they're not really accessible, I mean, you know, to most people, most of the population. They're mainly generated by corporations and areas. Like what made you move into a more innovative approach to these? Is it because they're more portable and like everyday people could start using the power of the wind turbines? Is that why you guys did this? So people don't have to rely on companies and bigger ones that they don't have access yeah. to because these I think would be great for like ranches or mountains and stuff. But you're you're telling me that anybody with a backyard can have one of these if they're getting more into the sustainability and more of the mm-hmm. wind solar powered. I mean, was that the was that behind the innovation so accessibility or was it mainly um, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely accessibility is a huge part of it, right? If we can democratize energy production, there's there's always this uh, concern of, I don't want a, a wind turbine in my backyard. It's big, uh, it's uh, ugly to look at, you know, you know all, all of these arguments. But if you own your own turbine, then it's actually a thing you would want. And then we can transition into a more sustainable energy production just in general. And, you know, everybody want, needs electric cars in the future. We all need heat pumps for generating heat or air conditioning. So we're going to see an increase in electricity consumption. And I think with our technology, we can really drive the cost down for, uh, for wind turbines just because we are using much, much less materials. So that's one thing. But also because the structure is much lighter, then you don't need heavy machinery to install it. 
I mean, comparatively, right? So that's sort of the that's sort of the the goal for us. That is to make clean energy more available for more people around the world, basically. Yeah. That's sort of the mission and the dream. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I get it. It's amazing. Walk me briefly through the development process, you know, from the typical, you know, flying wind turbines to these super lightweight ones. I mean, how in depth, I mean, how does it take you to make these? I mean, how, what is the whole process of making one of these? Yeah. I mean, so if you want the story of sort of where we started, so, I mean, we started out making these flying wind turbines, right? So you should picture a kite on a string that is tethered to the ground, right? right. And then, and then you send electricity, then there's a rotors on it, and you generate electricity by having this flying structure flying around. And the, and the thing is, with a traditional wind turbine, like the big ones, also the big ones here, they make 80% of their energy by the last 20% of their tips. So you, you should picture like the tip of the blades on the turbines, those contribute almost to all the energy generation that the turbines put out. So you can see that the tower... All the rest of the blades, like in the blade root and all of this, this is only structural support. So basically, if you can get rid of that, then you save all of that material. And that would be much more efficient seen from a material point of view, right? And then, I mean, and then you get into the cost of prices. So that was where we started. And then we sort of realized, okay, this is a tricky problem. Having an autonomous kite flying around in a circle, in a loop up there, sending electricity up and down a string and all of this. And every time... Every time we did something wrong, then the kite would crash into the ground and we would have to go back to the workshop and build it up again. So that just took a long time. And then we sort of saw that, can we do something else with the strings that we are? I mean, we are good at making these structures using these uh, lines. And that was sort of this hybrid concept of the new wind turbine that we use. We're using a lot of strings on it. And that's just the whole reason why we can make it so, so lightweight. How difficult is it to connect these? And I know you guys have a, I don't know if it's a mobile app you have, but I know you can start these and stop these and you could monitor them from your cell phone. Is that an app that you just download? Is it, I mean, is it that simple right these days with the innovation that you could have set these up quickly and just use your mobile app to power it up and down and to control it? It's, it's, I mean, it's always a matter of perspective, I would sort of say. When you're saying simply, then of course you have to set it up. I often tell people that, I mean, how difficult is it to, first of all, you have to put it up, right? If you are using it as a portable one, if you're going camping or you have your big RV and then you go to the mountain or the countryside and then now I want to set it up. I, I often say it's as difficult as pitching a large family tent. And that's going to take you maybe an hour the first time you try it, but I can do it. I can set up the turbine in under 20 minutes now. So that's it's sort of... Yeah, that's so, so, so similar to that, right? And and then we have the app, of course, where you control it. And it's not actually a real app. It's a little bit hacky. Uh, I mean, we are, we also asked uh, earlier when, how big is the company we are at the moment. We are seven people only. We are a small startup. We haven't even delivered 50 turbines yet. We are just reaching these numbers. So, I mean, this is still a, still a small-scale uh, startup. Hey, how, long, how long have you guys had? How long has the company been around for? The company started in 2016. And then we did this pivot in uh, 2020 from the, I mean, in 16 to 2020, that was when we did the flying wind turbines. And then from uh, as COVID hit actually in 2020, March 2020, then it made this pivot. Uh, then we did a Kickstarter campaign and got some initial customers there. And um, yeah, now we are sort of on track to uh, to deliver or on track. We're a little bit behind track <laughs> as usual Kickstarter projects goes, right? Yeah, so so you guys, so you've been in the, um, the R&D phase for a long time, but now yeah. you now the products are ready to ship. 
ready yeah. to ship their GA. So it, it's not that complicated to set these up. And then you just kind of connect it into, I mean, is there a connection? I want to say a power source or like walk me through the setup. Mm -hmm. So actually you would connect the turbine to a battery system that you have. And that's because you would always want to sort of store the energy because your devices, they consume sort of burst. If you have a hot plate, right, on your camper van. Like how, how, big a, how big a battery source are we talking about? It could be anything. It can be for a small. Do, are you aware of these um, portable power stations? Have you heard about those? Jackery yeah. and EcoFlow and all these. We actually own the company at the moment who can charge these using a wind turbine. So I think that's that's kind of cool. I mean, directly. So you can you can get one a Jaggery unit, and then you can get our turbine, and then we have a, developed a small electronic box that sort of takes the turbine's power. This is a little bit of small storage in it, and that's to soak up gusts and you know intermittent uh, yeah. wind patterns and all this other stuff. And then we can smooth that electricity out, and then we can deliver that to the Jaggery unit, and then you can charge up the Jaggery unit, and then you can of course use the Jaggery unit to charge your devices or to to run a hairdryer or an AC for a short while or whatever you need. And because all of that is connected, all of that we plug into the source that pulls from the power box, which is powered by the wind turbines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And God. I think one of the cool aspects that we, we have been able to, uh, to make here is actually this box. So uh, we call it a solar emulator because the Jackery unit, that can only take input from solar or can they take directly from your wall outlet, right? But if you are off-grid, then you don't have a wall outlet available, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but then you, you, would, you would want to charge into the solar panel. But but the Jaggery unit, we have sort of made a solution that can emulate a solar panel seen from the wind turbine. So I think that's kind of cool. And that took a long while to long time to develop that. And so yeah, you guys, I mean, you guys have obviously gone through the R and D and the testing to where have you have you do you use one of these? Have you set one of these up? Do you use mm -hmm. this so you to test it out so you know how long, how much electricity you have, how much power for how long, whether it's a portable or not? You've gone through yeah. all the scenarios. Yeah. So actually, just uh, last week, I was uh, in Sardinia, and uh, that's an island, uh, Italian island. And I was doing a camping trip uh, together with uh, my girlfriend there. And we were driving around in an RV van and had a turbine with us. And then we could uh, set it up. And we had an EcoFlow uh, unit, it's a portable power station. And then we could uh, charge that and keep all our electronic devices uh, fully charged up uh, with it. So we just uh, park the camber, set up the turbine, and we need power, and then we can actually go to sleep and we'll be charged up the next day. What is your target market for Kydex? I mean, is it individuals? Is it just, is it anybody? Or do you have a very specific, I mean, do you have a specific demographic of people that are camping or on faraway areas that are remote. I mean, is this really made? It's not made for people in the city. It's really made for remote living, right? Yeah, it is. So at the at the moment, so I mean, we started out with the we call the wind catcher, right? The small turbine that you can see on our website, and you can go and purchase if you want to. And that's mainly used. I mean, we mostly sell it for camping or off grid users. So that's if you have an RV or if you have a vacation house somewhere that is off grid or small, the tiny house or something like that. Yeah, then you can set it up and actually have electricity. So that's what we sell it at now. But the wind catcher is really seen from our perspective, a small test platform. And it was the smallest size of wind turbine that we could make that actually made sense for us to market. I mean, that, that could make sense. And we are already at the moment, we are developing the next size of turbine. So that's going to be a household size turbine. So that will charge a whole house 
And that's going to be uh, two or three times the size of Windcatcher. And that could charge your electric car overnight. Just in, I mean, in, in fairly low winds. So that would be around seven meters per second. And then you could charge it up overnight. Right. I break this down for me. The, the small one could power mm-hmm. a small TV, AC, heat, whatever, yeah. a TV. But it's it, it's enough to get you, as long as you're not, you can't power everything at once. But if you just want to watch TV or if you just want to charge your cell phone overnight, small yeah. things. The big ones, the house ones, like mm-hmm. was, is it like full-blown TV, cable, electricity, refrigerators, I mean, AC fans. I mean, is it big enough to power like electronics, computers and everything running all at once in a house 24-7 or is it? Of, I mean, it, of course, depends on how much wind is available. If you have a week without any wind oh. <laughs> that could happen, then of course you're going to run out. But in Denmark, it's a windy country. It's not super windy. I think Texas is uh, is even more windy than uh, than Denmark. It's just to give you an example, right? In the US, in Denmark, our next size turbine we call it Arrow that can keep a whole um, Danish household uh, with electricity. We're sort of expected around that at the moment, right? Because that's close to uh, to where we are. I mean, where we have a lot of, lot of knowledge. So, 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 so this is, I mean, it's obviously wind powered, but also stores it. So if there is no wind for a day or two, you're still fine. But then if there's no wind, like in the dead heat of the summer for a month or two, it just, it just won't work. You have to be aware of those winds. Yeah. But then there, there is, I mean, many of our customers at the moment, they already have solar, right? And the thing with the beauty of uh, solar and wind is that they complement each other really well. So when you're at the dead heat of the summer, that's when you're in a high pressure system and then you will see no wind. And then, you know, when you're going to go into uh, the, the weather changes and then you're going to see clouds and then there's going to be winds. And then it's also when your solar doesn't work. So those two technologies are really complementary of each other. Yeah. How much power can the one that's out right now and then the big one coming, how much power can those store? So if we can make in in uh, in five meters per second wind speed. That's sort of our rated power, uh, or five point five, and that's around I think it's thirteen miles per hour wind speeds. Uh, just to sort of translate the units here, and that's that's fairly low. That's just like a gentle breeze. Then we are making two hundred and uh, around two hundred watts, and if you calculate it up over twenty four hours, then you're making four kilowatt hours of electricity. And how much is that? So that's you could run a hairdryer from that for two and a half hours. So you can run a hot plate from that for two hours. Or you can charge your laptop up uh, 50 times or your phone 400 times. This is for the small turbine, right? So it actually produces quite a lot of energy in that sense. And that's also what we have made it for. And I think that's that's a really key, key thing with our technology is that we have made it for light winds. Because you're not camping at a place where it's like gale forces winds. That's when where many of our competitors' turbines are. We have the maximum power when it's gale forces, but you never you rarely you rarely see those strong winds. So we have made it so that it just it actually lets the wind through the rotor disc when it's like very windy, just to conserve the structure, and then we don't need to use as much materials to make it even lighter. So, I was just so going to ask you how does this stack up against your competition, and mm-hmm. like again, some of them are made they're pretty durable to withstand gale winds. I mean, the big wind, wind storms, but obviously nobody camping, like you said, or anybody, I mean, but if you have like, you know, cabins up in the mountains or ranches, your way out there, you may get those really strong winds, but nobody's going to be outside hanging out where they need to power their phone or camping, hopefully 
when these monster windstorms come through. So yeah. this is really more of a, this is really made not for the big, big windstorms, commercial grade. This is, I feel they stand out and lead more of the home market for the, like you said, yeah. the portable lightweight ones for assistance. Most people, the competition, they're leading into the big industrial ones. Well, yeah. So we can't really have those. I mean, it's, it's too um, cost preventative. I mean, the time to build them, to get them put up. I mean, the cost, but these are more cost productive. They're easier to put up. They're portable. Is there any other competition that does exactly what you do on these light, on the um, scale of what you guys have on these light wind? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, so, so there is competition in sort of this, if you just say for the portable turbines, there is some some people making uh, small turbines, and then you have a rotor blade length of maybe a foot or a foot and a half, something like this. The thing is with wind power, it only depends. This is like physical laws, right? It's like we have gravity. You can only extract so much energy as the area of your rotor disc. We call this the swept area for wind turbines, and we have a gigantic area for our weight. I mean, so so if you compare it to so these small portable wind turbines, then you they're good for charging up a phone or you can maybe charge half a laptop or something like this. And they cost maybe the half price of ours or maybe a third of our cost uh, when we sell our turbines. But they are still, I mean, you could just as easily go to Walmart, buy uh, three, four uh, power banks, put those in your pocket. You would have saved a few hundred dollars and then you have been with charge for the whole duration of your trip anyways. But what we can deliver in the portable space, that is actually usable power for running your more power-hungry devices, right? And that's, for instance, in a refrigerator or something like that. A refrigerator can, can consume maybe one, two kilowatt hours per 24 hours. Yeah. Well, and also the, the little portable mobile packs, once those mm-hmm. die, you can't power them anyways if you don't have an outlet. Now, yeah. I just... I keep, it's so funny because like they're turbines. I keep struggling. I want to say propellers. I want to say windmills. I think turbines. I got to get in my head. These are actual turbines. When I think turbines, I, I you know, my head goes straight to NASA, to the um, <laughs> flight industry, to planes. It goes to the big, huge, big monster ones you see, you know, cemented in that are like probably, you know, it's a hundred feet high, the big, huge monster ones that are government or state owned. I, 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 that's what I think when I think turbines, I never mm-hmm. put the word turbine with, you know, a small lightweight portable one. I could take no. camping or take traveling with me. Yeah. No, it's, no. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I guess it's just a, a wording, right. But it, I mean, depends on what term you use, you use for it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I think I, and I love that. I mean, I love that your, your history of, you know, you knew, when you were younger, where you wanted to go with um, wind and with the turbines from the kite surfing mm-hmm. and stuff. And I love that you've kind of taken that and you kind of moved that into the leadership market of, you know, running a company based on where you were doing when you're, and I just love that whole trajectory of that. Miss you a question. You know, you have so much new emerging technology you guys are tapping into for this. Where do you see this company going in the next like, five years? Yeah, so I mean, so the vision would for us would be to become a, I mean, the largest by numbers wind wind turbine supplier in the world, and I think that's that could be possible. I would really like to see a revolution in small household sized turbines because I think without technology they can actually become economically viable 
especially considering if you are living uh, far out on the countryside and you have long power power lines, and it's just going to be more efficient to to avoid the transmission losses than generate where you is where you are uh, sort of on location. And then I really hope that we can because we have this huge ultra area and we are, we are, we are super focused on light wind performance. That's something, I mean, we we have our rated power, so where we make the maximum effect that our turbine is sort of rated for, we, we make that at half what our competitors are currently doing. And that means we can actually open up to so many more places in the world where the winds are not that great and where they already have big turbines. Because, I mean, it would be naive of me to say, I mean, we can be the, the big players in the game like uh, General Electrics or Siemens or Vestas or whatever. That's not what we are after. But if we can make something that really has a huge impact in the world, and then I think that's really viable. And then I think because we're using these uh, screw-in foundations, then that also opens up to whole new places for putting up wind turbines. This could, for instance, be festivals or refugee camps. Because when you put up a traditional big turbine, then you want to spec it for 30 years. It has to be on this location. It has to be good connected. But with our technology, we can just pack them down, ship them in 20-foot containers, and we can actually get them to places where you cannot get normal big turbines to because they don't have the infrastructure or big cranes to handle them. We can just screw in these anchors, set them up, and they can be there for two, three years. For refugee camps, then we can pack them down again and ship them off to the next refugee camp. So it opens up whole new possibilities of actually harnessing clean, sustainable power from the wind in places that uh, that we traditionally don't do it today. Yes, and I, I love that you brought that up, Mia, because, you know, when these impoverished countries, people don't have access to electricity or clean water. You know, they do everything they can just to keep their cell phones powered up. So we have a nonprofit, the World Health Initiative. That's we're down in Peru with this, where, you yeah. know, 87 percent are under the poverty line. You know, out of that, 40 percent don't even register with the government as existing because it's so bad you have the amazon you have up in cusco in the andes and then you have you know the main part of lima and there's so many areas out there where the big mining companies are there's these villages that are struggling so world health initiative is a universal health care program we're going out to these impoverished communities in these third world countries and making sure you know they have the right access to health care and wellness to survive right now through the doctor's programs. But mm-hmm. it's interesting because when I've been down like three or four times within the past year, and I'll be back down again in January, February, when we launched this program, but it's my thing is that they don't have electricity or they just have like one little light bulb that's barely flickering because they just don't have electricity, especially up in the Amazon because they're, you know, they're pulling from underwater wires in the Amazon they're shorting out. I think it's, I love that you guys, are, you're talking about your future of powering areas of the world that don't have access to electricity to survive. And it's coming down to basic survival, especially since the pandemic, when everything was shut down, they didn't have access to anything. I, I love that this is where you're going. Because I always feel healthcare is a human right, but people in order to survive, it's a human right. They should always have access to clean water and electricity. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah. Yeah, that's super important, right? We need, uh, I mean, refrigeration for keeping uh, medicine at the right temperature so it doesn't uh, go bad and stuff like this is uh, key to actually seeing the world uh, thrive, I would say. So we just really are really dependent on, on electricity. 
And, and the thing is, in these poor, poor countries, that is, they don't have the infrastructure to actually handle a turbine like this, or as you can say, the political situation is just unstable, that nobody wants to put the money down to invest in a turbine that has to be there for 30 years, because how does it look in five years' time, right? Uh, but if you can put something up and like actually pack it down again and then take it off if the situation ever changes, then that's going to be so much better for, I would say, investors to to sort of look at because you are not finding all your capital in just in just one one huge project that if you don't know the political situation, can the country actually handle it? And that's yeah. what this opens up to. Yeah, and, and only one of these. So one of these would only power, like if there's a village, 100 families, I, you know, give or take. This can't power all of them. It only could power, you know, is it, you know, is it like if we, I'm just going to go figure this out. If we go into one of these little areas, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like one of these refugee camps down in Peru and they don't have power and we put one of these there, how much can that power? Like, you know, is it like up to a hundred cell phones or is it, you know, light for two hours, electricity for two hours, you know, for so many houses? I mean, can you kind of, explain or do you have any formal or anything that we could kind of say this is how much or how many areas it can power at any given day like yeah, so, any- i mean yes. this would be a, i mean this is, would be sort of uh, in the top of my mind calculation so so maybe <laughs> if you're listening to it and just maybe do do them again in your in your head but um I would say so. Say a light bulb that consumes maybe ten watts, right? An LED light bulb and a phone that also consumes, I mean, ten watts or five watts or even something like this. So our small, even our small turbine could power thirty lights, thirty phones, something like this. Uh, it has to be a little bit. It depends on where you are in the region, and, and you have to have it elevated a little bit. But what I think, I mean, the big possible thing here would be for the next size larger uh, turbine that we are developing. I mean, that could power a small village because they don't consume that much electricity at the moment. And there you could could keep a few houses with lights and have their phones charged and set up some uh, mobile uh, routers and stuff like this for uh, for internet, right? So you can get uh, education over the internet or whatever, right? And we're seeing more and more like this. Um, And that that could be for a small village, I would say, maybe 20, 30 houses, something like that. It could just be even like the little bodegas down there. They do have milk. They do have things refrigerated. Mm-hmm. They're barely surviving with um, electricity. I, I guess you, this is another conversation, I think, of using solar power to kind of save the rest of the world, you know, when it comes to um, the need for electricity and stuff. But you, you've had such a tremendous background, Christopher, and you've applied so much of, as an engineer to become a co-founder of this company. What would your best advice be? to other people who were looking to move in to the space or to want to be a founder or that have an interest in solar power, wind power, turbine, sustainable living. I mean, what would your best advice to somebody younger who wants to get into this career field or to found a company? Because you founded this, you created this. What would your best advice be to somebody else? I would say find something that really inspires you. And then just, I mean, and then just work towards with that because motivation, that's really what's going to drive you. If you're motivated for doing something, I mean, then you're just having fun all the time, right? That's yeah. what I am. It's, it's just so, I mean, it's fun going to work. It's it's becoming intermixed with your, with your hobbies a little bit. And I think that's, that's really inspiring. And then, of course, it's do something that is actually good for the world. If you can just, I mean, if you can do something that just makes the world slightly better than what it is, 
And it's going to leave it at that. I think that has a tremendous impact on what that is. It's not for me to sort of judge. I would say that's up to people's skills and and where they are in life. But uh, go with what inspires you and motivates you. Quick question. What was one of your biggest failures that you learned from, that you redid, or that you grew from, learned from, to get to where you are today with this company? Mm, I would say... Not a failure per se, I would say, but I think one of my biggest sort of, if I had to go back in time and tell my younger self something, a tip, that would be to reach out to people a little bit more. I mean, network is such a tremendous, nice thing and the sharing things openly, also failures and mistakes. We are doing that in, in Kydex a lot. I mean, sharing with our baggers and, and customers and and how, how the progress is. I mean, that people really want to really want to help other people. So, so reach out to people around you and see, maybe they know somebody who knows somebody. And then suddenly, I mean, then you're talking to somebody who, who wants to have your help or mindset on, on something because, you know, you know, a guy over there. And uh, yeah, I say uh, reach out to, uh, to people and also help people reaching out. Yeah, I always find that there's no such thing as failures. We always talk about success because anytime you make a mistake, there's always a success story out of that. You failed or something didn't work out for a reason that was able to give you a chance to stand back, look at what happened and be like, aha, I should have done that better here, here or there. And let's go back and make it better. But you have those failures. You never know where you can improve on and what's working and not working. Yeah, I would say, and I think this is a really, really good point you're making there. I think failing is the only way to to obtain success. I mean, you have to fail. You have to fail over and over and over again. And that's the only reason. I mean, if you're just doing everything and just working out for you, then you're not learning anything. You're learning from your mistakes. You're learning from all this. So, I mean, this is something we apply, I would say, methodically at Kydex when we are developing something. It's not about getting it perfect. It's just about getting it, ah, can we, can we do this to the turbine? And then we test it. And then we fail at it. And then we learn from the failure and say, ah, it was because of this or that. And then that's really what drives the whole uh, product development forward. That could also be in everything, in many aspects in life, right? Uh, of course, you shouldn't fail too hard in, in some aspects, but try to minimize sort of the risks and fail fast. If you have, if you're something that's taking a little bit, bit of risk, just explore it as quickly as you can, sort of, and then you can you know, you would either fail or you would succeed on, on it. But if you don't try, then you would never succeed on, on it. So fail quickly. <laughs> yeah, quickly. No, I always be that. So I think people are afraid of failure. So they kind of stay complacent in where they're at and they're not really. So I always believe you always have to like lean into that fear. You should be afraid to fail because it's going to push you harder to want to succeed. But I always feel like if you don't push yourself out of that comfort zone a little bit, every day you don't really know you don't have a chance to grow and succeed if you just stay complacent in where you yeah. are I and mean, you have yeah. to put yourself out and take risk and put yourself out of your comfort zone that's the only way you're going to grow otherwise yeah. stay where you're at you don't grow you don't expand you know you can't yeah, really exactly and then, and then you have to ask yourself i mean what's what's the worst thing that that could happen if i do this if of course if it's uh, like a serious consequence, then you might have to rethink it. But I mean, if it's like uh, I apply for this new job in my life, I mean, if you get a no, I mean, that doesn't really matter, right? It's, you didn't really fail anything. You just learn from that and then you try again. And then suddenly you, maybe you end up scoring your dream job or switching from 
one field to a completely new field. Yeah, I think it's that fear of failure that holds people back. And I feel like people get in that rut as executives. They don't understand, well, I'm just going to deal with this because it's comfortable, it's easy, I'm getting paid for it, but they're not really happy and they're not really where they want to be. Or I feel like just push yourself out. Because like you said, it, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody says no, but at least maybe you know, well, crap, I should have approached it better or said this differently. I'm going to go do it again. And I feel yeah. like that in itself starts building your confidence to take the risk to start pushing yourself out of your boundaries. And I just think yeah. that's where true leadership actually comes from. Yeah. And, and then I think also, and also related to this, I mean, if, and if people say no to you, ask them for feedback. I mean, people are willing to help you and sitting in, in the other end and having to, uh, to, if somebody applies for a job at your company and you have to let them down, then it's, I mean, most people, unless you are a little bit of a sociopath or something like that, then, then they actually feel a little bit, ah, no, that was, if they had sort of a candidate, but choose one over another, then, then they would feel a little bit bad. I mean, that's at least my personal op- opinion about it. So if they reach out to say, ah, what is the feedback? Then I would be happy to share that sort of, and I think most people are like that. And if you don't get the feedback, then you haven't really, lost anything but if you haven't asked for the feedback then you don't have the opportunity to gain anything from from your failure you can sort of say right or for for asking yeah and i just just feel like all of this is how it got you to being the co-founder and creating kydex on the um turbine wind turbines which i think is an amazing story like i love having on the show and i know we're running out where can everybody go if they're interested in buying or for more information on kydex how so I would say, yes, yeah, so uh, you should go to our website. That's uh, tidex, just one word, dot tech, T-E-C-H, uh, like technology. That's where you can find our product and buy it. But then we are also very active on uh, LinkedIn. So go follow us there. You can just search for Tidex. That's where we post most of our, uh, our say, endeavors and uh, fun little things and where you can follow along in the, in the development. Oh my God, Christopher, it's so good having you on the show. Thank you so much for staying at the office and doing this with me. It was definitely, I mean, it was a struggle at first. I kind of struggled because I'm not, you know, the turbines and the wind power, but it was fascinating. I love what you're doing. And honestly, congratulations. I'm looking forward to seeing where you guys go with this, but I do love that you guys are thinking ahead of how to take your leadership in this technology to um, countries in need. And I, I do love where you guys are going with this. So it'll be good to um, catch up with you down the road and stay in touch. But until then, this is Sarah Miller with the Axis Effect with Christopher Seeshai at Kydex. And we'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Axis Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaccesseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.